Hello again, everyone. Welcome to The Chatter. We've got special guest Michael Matt of the Remnant newspaper with us, and we're going to be talking about him coming to the Dubuque area, Platteville, Wisconsin, specifically. And we're going to begin right now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh most, most gracious Virgin Mary, that, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in my mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Colleen is with us here, Colleen Pasnick, and we've got Brad Markham, who is the uh, instigator in all of this here. How he tracked down Michael Matt, we, he's not telling us how well, he did that. Well, we are so blessed to have him, and I have to give compliments to Tess. She's been just amazing to work with, so compliments to your staff, Michael. Good, good. And Michael, you. Brad, you've, you're, you're coming back to uh, Plantville, Wisconsin for a First Friday series in September. What are the details there? So, uh, well, it's anyone who's familiar with the First Fridays, we, we do confessions at 4 p.m., uh, try to do high mass if we've got the singers there, but there's always a mass, 5 p.m., and then this, we have dinner. We've learned that when the children come, um, they get a little grumpy if they don't eat, so we, we feed them before the speaker, and then the speaker talks. So, And if I'm correct, you we record everything, right? So if people are unable to make it that night, they can watch... Uh yeah, we do. We have the Pioneer Catholic uh, website, and then we also, well, it's on YouTube, um, and then we're, we're going to be tying those into Aquinas Communications as well, so we'll have it on two channels. So, Very good. And yeah. quite a lineup that you've got scheduled for the first Fridays. Yeah, um, we've, really, we've really been blessed. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, but it's mov- he's moving here. So, Michael, we're in just unbelievable times here uh, i'm a big fan of the show and and we've uh, carried some of your items on fm 98.3 kcrd thank you for your generosity on th- on that point um give some background on on the uh, shows that you do that you produce each week please yeah we we uh <coughs> we actually first and foremost we are a cat we have been a catholic newspaper for the past 56 years in fact and uh, you know how it is that the technology going the direction that it is. You have to. I mean, we're very, we're very jealously protecting the newspaper and newsprint because I believe that the uh, internet is. Well, we all are aware of how much it's being restricted. Mm. Uh, all things Christian, all things right. Catholic are being are being uh, restricted. So we protect and and we want to continue with that with that option of newsprint. But then we decided we just had to we had to branch out. We had to get into video. Um, and it's worked out really well. God is good. It's been it's been very successful uh, it is for a small market. It's been extremely successful. And what we try to do is is not really so much have a traditional Catholic um, TV platform. We use YouTube. We use our own independent platform at remnant-tv.com as well because YouTube is not very nice to us lots of times. But what we try to do is keep the social kingship of Jesus Christ, the reign of Christ, the social teaching of the church as our bedrock, as our foundation, and then we try to engage politically, culturally. Uh, so I like to say it's not really a traditional Catholic show so much as it's a, a, a show run by traditional Catholics. But I think traditional Catholics need to really expand their horizon, understand the juncture that we're at, 
and engage people who are not necessarily on our page, on our side yet, because so many of them are realizing something's terribly wrong in the, in the world. So we have a Sunday night show that speaks to everybody, Protestants, non-Catholics, Catholics, obviously traditional Catholics. We try to have good discussions and really bring people some direction and some camaraderie and a little consolation in the middle of this, what I believe to be a truly apocalyptic, maybe not the apocalypse, but certainly an apocalyptic moment. So if not, that's pretty much what we, what we do. If not the apostasy of the uh, era. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, John, John Paul II is the one that used that term, the great apostasy. I, I don't think there's anything too terribly controversial, alas, about using the term. What, if this is an apostasy, then the word apostasy is just about meaningless. Mm-hmm. So I think it is important to recognize and to acknowledge the, the apostasy that's before us and to do everything we can to not only fight it, but also prevent good people from being seduced, leaving the church, falling into apostasy themselves. I think it's really important for people to do what you guys are doing, what we're doing, get the voice out there, because there are so many people who are afraid and angry, and that's, a, that's not a good place to be. So we've got to go in and try to address both and, and enlist them in this fight to... Uh, to restore all things in Christ and to proclaim the, the social kingship of Jesus Christ. Well, as you talk about your show, I, you know, I, I want to mention that if people haven't seen it, they need to go out and find it and check it out. Our listeners need to go go watch it because I don't think there's a news show out there that has their finger on the pulse of what's really going on. And I think that comes from your deep traditional Catholic faith. I mean, I think you guys it's sort of like faith seeking understanding. You guys have your finger on maybe maybe Archbishop Vigano has his finger on the pulse a little bit more, but besides that, I don't mm-hmm. know that there's anyone out there that's really reporting the way you guys do. So, listeners, go yeah. go check it out for sure. Well, I, pr- I appreciate that because if we're not, if we if we don't know the enemy that we face at this point, I mean, the remnant goes back 56 years, but my family's you know newspaper apostle goes back 156 years, where we've been looking at this attack on the on the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, this attack on the church. And now it's in full bloom. So I appreciate what you're saying, but on the other hand, it's not as though we're prophets. This this is something that was predicted, <laughs> I mean, specifically predicted over 100 years ago by St. Pope Pius X. So we sure to darn well better be, <laughs> be able to recognize what we've been talking about for the past five decades, recognize it when it really hits the climax, which is what's going on right now. So I appreciate what you're saying, but I think a lot of people are able to see this and we need to help them connect the dots and... Because of the situation, it's so out of control. I think it's easier to connect those dots than ever before. Yeah, I think the three of us here appreciate your show, so thank you for all that you've done. One of the questions that we've talked about, you know, what can the laity do at, you know, at a local level to uphold the faith of our fathers, to kind of fight against this apostasy? Do you have any um, words of advice? I, I think it's just very important to acknowledge or to recognize um, that the so-called traditional Catholic movement always recognized the liturgical question as central. So the traditional Latin Mass, for example, was the touchstone of the faith, but it was not the only issue. And so you had, within traditional Catholicism, you had the political aspect of it. Uh, As I say, the social reign of Christ the King was key to this fight, and also the cultural aspect of it. So the war against the family, for example, was something that your pioneer traditional Catholics were engaged in a long time ago, 50, 60 years ago. They were pulling their children out of schools and they were homeschooling and they were taking matters as far as the raising of their children in their own hands as the church, Holy Mother Church, which in her divine element is inviolate and can never fall, can never let us down. 
but in her human element had been infiltrated and, and they anticipated that. So to answer your question, I would say the number one thing that we need to do as Catholics living through this period is something very much akin to what the early Christians did where they practiced in the, their faith in the catacombs, where they, you know, where they were really set aside, they were put in, they, they had to go underground in order to function as, as Christian families. And I think what we really miss, so many good people, they may go to the Latin Mass, but they don't understand that if your children are listening to Lady Gaga and Miley Cyrus and, and all right. these people for six days out of seven of the week, the Latin Mass, you can't, it's not a magic show. It's not going to save your family. So I think it's really important to understand the cultural threats that traditional Catholics were always very much aware of uh, and to make those threats something that we ourselves are defending our children and our families against, to make the, 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 the home, the Catholic home, into a small church, to pray the rosary every night. And I don't mean just uh, sitting around after dinner and during dessert praying it. I mean make a ritual out of it, light candles, turn the lights off, light candles in front of the Blessed Mother statue, the statue of our Lord, have father and mother on their knees praying the rosary, lovingly teaching the children to love it, because not all kids love the rosary, so make it part of your family and not a burden, but part of what we do together as a family. These are the little things. I don't want to take up too much time on one of your questions, just, just this one question, but I would really stress uh, more, more conversation, more reading, more research on how to have a truly Catholic family, first of all, before you try to even create missionaries or evangelists or Latin mass defenders. Make sure that, especially the young ones, grow up in a solid, normal Catholic home that they will defend to the death then because they loved it, not because they were being forced into it, but because it's what they associate with the wonder years, the golden years of their mother and their father and their life as, as growing and aspiring Christians growing up. They will defend that later in life with everything they have, not because somebody's telling them to, but because they remember the stories and they want to to keep that as part of their life and, and to share that with other people. It's kind of like the magic, the key secret, the secret to it all. Become a solidly traditional Catholic home, lovingly raising your children in the faith. And I think we'll be, we're going to be pretty amazed by what those children will do, even when they go off to college and grow onto their own lives, in terms of the counter-revolution and surviving and keeping the old faith. That's a, that's a great answer, and I know that the Catechism says that the family is the cell of society, and so that is, that is the place to start. What would you say to maybe grandparents whose children have left the faith? Um, can they do some of this with their grandkids when the grandkids are over? Yeah, I think I think the what's missing, what's missing for all of us right now is that middle generation, the the, the boomers. Actually, I think you could probably you could probably say um, they were sort of obliterated by the the sex, drugs, and rock, rock and roll revolution culturally, by the revolution of Vatican II, liturgical revolution in the church. That whole generation lost their bearings to a large extent. And so the problem with the children of the boomers, as far as I, I, I can see, they don't know the stories. And the stories are what we have to tell. The stories of the old faith, the stories of Christendom, the, the historical stories, the things that make life and family life and tradition so rich are the stories. And so I think that grandparents, in telling the stories of how life was in a much more sane world, how life was in, in a much more a sane Paris situation is one of the things that obviously that would go along with teaching the children the story, the theological stories of prayer and scripture and in the, in the history of the church, but also the stories of a much better time. 
to try to enkindle some some interest in that this generation that's plugged into headsets, headphones, video games, music constantly, and doesn't have any fabric or texture to their lives. Grandparents, I think, could play a, a really big role in providing some of that because you can tell by the suicide rates, by the drug abuse wow. rates yeah. among the children, that they're dying for literally dying for more. And I think they're very receptive to what the previous two generations, especially the, the, the grandparent generation has to offer in a day and age that's so vapid of anything that's culturally sound. I think that's a good suggestion. Our guest is Michael Matt. He's the editor of the Remnant newspaper. Michael, we've got subscriptions down here, and we keep them in the studio, and as our guests come in, they, they look at the newspaper. Uh, most of them seeing it for the first time, and you've been doing it for five or six decades here. What a, what a great publication. It Thank comes you. out every couple of weeks. Now, you know, you're me mentioning some of the, um, the stories that need to be told here. Brad and I have had some encounters with some Catholics because, you know, we, we've been accused of evangelizing here, Michael. So we, <laughs> I wonder we, why. we, we have some, uh, some stories, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's awfully poignant here. Uh, as we've brought speakers in and told our stories about Catholicism, um, we, we've had people that look at us and say they feel like they're, they've been introduced into the middle of a conversation because they haven't had the Catholic stories. They, they lost their childhood. Their parents didn't teach them. The, the, uh, the grandparents haven't taught them. What's your experience in that? Have you run into some people that feel like they're in the middle of a, of a story that uh, they have no clue what's going on? In, in their Catholic faith. Sure, sure, and, and that's, that's where you can really see a demonic hand in all of this. I mean, these people are disassociated from their own roots. Um, they're wandering, they're, they're, their mooring lines have been cut. And so I think it's really important, as I'm sure you and Brad do all the time with that, that sort of person, that, that person that approaches you like that, to remember how disenfranchised that they have become and how much it is not their fault. And so to try to, to, to lovingly uh, lead them to Christ rather than scolding them for, for not already being there. Because this is the problem. They didn't have, most of them didn't have solid leadership, solid spiritual guidance from priests who were gone and left the church, solid political leaderships from leadership from people who were completely disassociated from reality and from the kingship of Christ and Christianity. Where were they supposed to get this knowledge for how, how it goes? How were they supposed to get the first part of your stories that you're talking about? Mm -hmm. They didn't. They never got it. So it becomes very important for us, I think, those of us who've been through, through great parents or through the grace of God, have more or less the entire story, to patiently tell the story, but also, and I hate to use the, the expression, but I think it's really key right now, dumb the story down a little bit. They, they're not ready for Aquinas and Augustine quite yet. See, Brad, so it's, darn. It's, it's, it's very important. I mean, Augustine and Aquinas will change the world even still, so I don't mean to sell them short. But many of these people, they're like people in a desert who haven't had water in, in days, you know, and to just give them a, a, a gallon of water will kill them. So, Michael, so if, I think if, it is if not Aquinas and Augustine, where do, you, where do you start? What's one of your go-to approaches? Well, it's, it's, it sounds, maybe it sounds too dumbed dumb down or too simplistic, but I think, again, Telling people, if you're talking to a Catholic audience, telling them what parish life used to be like, okay. uh, if you can remember, if you can't, then find mm -hmm. books and read about it, read about mm -hmm. it, telling them what missionaries used to be like, telling them 
about how society used to be. Because right now what they're living through is a society that's ungovernable, and they know that. So we talk about defunding the police, or you talk about getting more police or whatever in our, our, our cities, and everybody's seeing this, whether you're Catholic, Christian, Buddhist, atheist, it doesn't matter. They're looking at cities, and they're seeing chaos. Well, this provides us with an opportunity to say, what happens when you remove the moral law of Jesus Christ is chaos, and there are simply not enough police officers in the whole world to, to police your city that does not have Christ, the word of Christ, Christianity, the civilizing influence of Christianity, the law and order of Christianity. So that's what I mean by not, not a, it's all based on Aquinas, it's based on Augustine. We, we know this, but I don't think they need for us to read them long tomes and to expect them to be able to imbibe all that. There are things happening all around them now that they're looking for explanations for and I think we can tell the way things used to be. In the old days, for example, if some Don, Don, John Dillinger broke into the local bank mm -hmm. and began helping himself and left the doors open, the people in the city did not rush in and rob the bank or rob the liquor store simply because the doors had been broken or the glass windows had been broken. They stayed out. They were governing and policing themselves because they were moral people. This is a society most of us still want to live in. And so I think if you tell people what, what it means to have a Christocentric society and a Christocentric life, it's very appealing and it can be told with simple stories about how things were a very short time ago. We're not talking about the Middle Ages. We're talking about, you know, 50 years ago, we still had a nominally Christian society reflected by a more a society that was more conscious and more, more, more well-ordered and had the law and order of Christianity. So I'm not sure if that... If that if yeah. that answers your question. Yeah, I think, I think, that's, I think it, that's driving on it here. Our mm -hmm. guest is Michael Matt. You're listening to the 55th episode of The Chatter. We're recording on Monday, the 24th of August. This will air uh, this coming uh, weekend, the weekend before uh, Labor Day, because Michael is coming out of St. Paul down to Plantville, Wisconsin. And we'll be back with segment two of The Chatter right after these announcements on FM 98.3 KCRD. We're back. This is The Chatter, episode 55. I'm Tom Oglesby. Colleen is here. We've got Brad Markham, who is the uh, host of our special guest, Michael Matt of the Remnant newspaper and, and Remnant TV, which is uh, quickly growing to be some of the best stuff on Catholicism here in the country anywhere. Well, the newspaper's been going on for five decades, more mm -hmm. than five decades here. Brad, let's, uh, let's follow up on some of the conversations you've had with michael yeah so uh the last time michael was here we i was lucky enough to have a, a coffee with him and just talk through some of the the politics you may want to call it that's uh going on in the church and one of the things that you know was dear to me i've, I've fallen in love with the traditional latin mass just in the last three years so i'm i'm kind of new to it and my heart is being broken regularly by our hierarchy because i look around and they keep want, wanting to take away the way I want to worship, which was the Mass of the Ages. Um, so I don't know, Michael, if you'd want to talk a little bit just about Traditionis Custodes and, and any of those uh, internal church battles and fights that are going on around the Mass. I'd love to hear your, your opinion yeah. on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really important. And for any of your listeners who are new to, to all this, new to traditional Catholicism, I mean, 
I think it's very important that you understand, first of all, that, that all of us who, um, those of us who call ourselves or consider ourselves traditional Catholics would very much love to drop traditional. We're just Catholics. We're just Catholics who uh, the faith has been handed down to us by our fathers, and we're, we're doing our obligation before God by handing that faith down to, to our sons and daughters. We don't consider ourselves more Catholic than everybody else, better than everybody else. We're trying to be faithful to our church. Um, so I, I always like to say that so it doesn't come off as scandalous. Like, what do you mean? You're, you're differing with the Pope. Well, yeah, you have to. When, when, when something happens, even at the level of the Vatican, because our, our church, our faith is based on faith and reason, it's unreasonable to say that when something dramatically changes in the church, that we as Catholics need to behave like little lemmings who are incapable of using our brains. So we're left with this, this, this very strange um, you know, choice between accepting what's very, very new coming out of the Vatican and that which we know is 2,000, or I could say 1,965 years old. So when we are defending traditional Catholicism, we do it out of fear for our souls, not out of arrogance. We're not trying to judge anybody who doesn't see it our way. But we're, we're fearful for the, the, the souls, our own souls, for the souls of our children, in that what we're hearing and seeing now coming out of the Vatican in many respects is in direct contradiction to what came before, authoritatively taught by pope after pope and council after council for nearly 2,000 years. So I, I, I would put it in that context, and I would say what's happening in the Vatican right now, um, not only with Pope Francis, but just over the past 50 years, has been sort of a watering down of the faith, watering down of the liturgy in an effort. Like, you don't always have to ascribe the very worst motives to people in the Vatican either. The thinking was, back in 1965 and thereabouts, that if we made the, the Mass in English, for example, if we made it in the vernacular, if we were a little easier on divorce and you know, uh, contraception or whatever the issues would be, that, that would make the Catholic Church you know, more important, more relevant to more people. Well, the reality is, Brad, as you know, it simply didn't work that way. So you can say they had good intentions if you want to. I'm dubious about that, but I don't know, and I don't judge their hearts. But we know for a fact, looking at the statistics now, that everything fell apart dramatically. Literally hundreds of thousands of priests left the priesthood, nuns left the, the, the religious life, people left the church, churches closed all over the place. The entire Catholic church school system is on life support. And even, even an exalted figure such as Benedict XVI admitted this back in 2013, when in his last speech to the Curia, when he said something happened at Vatican II, it was hijacked by the media. Now you can agree with this or disagree with it, but this is what the Pope said. He said, which resulted in this media perception of the council, Vatican II, which destroyed, caused so much damage, he said, destroyed the religious houses. And he said, trivialize the liturgy. This is coming right from the Pope. So what he said is that for the past 50 years, we've had a trivialized liturgy. It was a very dangerous thing to happen. So you begin to see why there's been mass defection from the church. And we as traditional Catholics feel obligated before God to ask questions, ask why, where did we go wrong, and how can we go back and reclaim our, our Catholic birthright, birthright liturgically in any other way, to ensure that we not only save our souls, but we help others save theirs. The attack on the Catholic Church is, makes so much sense to traditional Catholics. We know that there are forces, dark forces in hell and in this world that need the Catholic Church to fall. So our defense of her is because we're cognizant of how important it is for the Catholic Church to collapse in order for a new world order to be, to be brought about. So we're not scandalized by this attack. 
but neither are we silent about it. Neither are we putting our heads in the sand like the proverbial ostrich and refusing to acknowledge that something truly apocalyptic has happened to our church. Michael, how do you how do you justify all of that though? So I mean, 1965, whatever you want to 68, whenever you want to start the stopwatch. Is it uh, two-thirds or three-quarters of, of uh, Catholics have um, rejected the faith, rejected the Mass, the liturgy? They're not going. They don't believe in the Eucharist. And the, the solution, the uh, prescription for what's going on is more of the same failed types of actions over the last five decades. Right. And this is, this is where you see either utter incompetency at the top, at the highest levels, or you see malice. And I'll let you choose which that is, because which one that is. I don't know what it is, but I don't see that I have uh, an option either way. It's incompetency that they don't see, what you're talking about, and they keep pushing for more, or it's malicious. So, for example, in the United States, a new study just came out that, said, that, that demonstrates three-quarters of all the Catholics in the United States mm-hmm. no longer go to Mass. Now, they might go every now and then on Easter or whatever, but they don't go to any of the obligatory Masses, three-quarters. So we were told in Traditionis Custodis, the latest, uh, the motu proprio from, 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 from Francis, that we must abandon the Latin Mass, which is thriving in the Church, as everybody knows. We have to, that has to be abandoned. That has to be canceled. That's part of the cancel culture. And we all need to go back to the Novus Ordo, to the new, the new order of Mass. Now, I'm not saying it's invalid or anything else at this point. I'm just saying that's what the Vatican has ordered us to do, in order good priests to do. So we have a right to look at the Holy Father in all charity and say, Your Holiness, three-quarters of our co-religionists in this country no longer attend Mass. They already abandoned that Mass. They don't go to it. They've lost the faith. So it's already been abandoned. Now you're telling, you're, you're insisting us, again, holiness, you're insisting that we go back there to that mass that has been so divisive and driven so many millions out of the church. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my children? Do you want us also to lose our faith? Do you want us also to stop attending Sunday mass? And if not, why, why in the world are you, are you demanding that we do this? So I would, to answer your question, I think the failure to acknowledge the facts and the statistics in this regard suggests a, a, a malicious entity is at work because it makes no sense to shut down the traditional Latin Mass. And I understand some of your readers probably have never, your viewers and listeners, never been to it. They, they don't understand. That's, that's fine. It's, it is a, a, a concept that needs a lot of discussion and introduction to people. But they don't even, for the point that I'm trying to make, they don't even need to understand all the ins and outs of this debate over the Latin Mass But what they, in order to appreciate the following, what I'm going to say. That on the one hand, you have a liturgical experiment that has gone awry, that has closed churches, that has caused a crisis in the seminary, crisis in the priesthood. On the other hand, you have millions of young people, families, whole orders of priests who are coming back to the, to, to the practice of the faith through the traditional Latin Mass of their fathers. Why would anyone want to shut that down when it is one truly, one of the few bright spots in the church right now where you have life and you have youth and you have vocations coming into the church? And I'm not talking about some some, some little underground group. I'm talking about at the diocesan level. Every diocese in the United States now has Latin masses. 
now soon they may be shut down. So I would encourage your your your, your listeners to ask themselves and ask their priests why why are they why are they bullying these people who simply want to practice the faith as it was practiced by their grandparents and it fulfills their spiritual needs. That's all they want. Why is it being de- why are they being deprived of this? Sure. And then when you have that discussion, I think some really interesting realizations are going to come out light bulb moments are going to come so, out of that yeah there, there is an attack going on so how do you the traditions of the how do you answer the the objection people will say well you know it was the 60s and the culture changed and the church just fell apart because the culture changed i always think they got cause and effect mixed up there where because the church fell apart the culture fell apart but i'm wondering how you would answer that objection i think there's any number of ways of, of answering it and i also would say um I'm not, I'm not here to tell you which came first, the cart or the horse. But what I can do is look back at history a little bit. I always like to use the example of, of the movies. You know, up until 1965, you had some of Hollywood's biggest celebrities, Frank Sinatra, you know, Bing Crosby, Carl Malden on the waterfront, Montgomery Clift, and I confess, huge stars playing Catholic priests in the movies. And, and presenting, doing a pretty good job of presenting the, the influence that the Catholic priests and the nuns, who had the movies like Bells of St. Mary's with Ingrid Bergman, and the nuns, the influence that they had on society. That's what was going on right up until the time of the council, where even something as nefarious as Hollywood could not ignore the massive positive impact the Catholic Church was, happen, was having. And then when the Catholic Church pulled back, Took, the, took those habits off the beautiful nuns, you know, told the priest to become Father Skippy and Father Cool and all this stuff. And then you immediately had this explosion. I mean, the Summer of Love is 1969, you know, as far as the rock and roll drugs and sex rock and roll revolution. 1969 is the Summer of Love. Well, <laughs> the Second Vatican Council ended in 1965. So I would argue that the late 60s saw a truly revolutionary explosion culturally, socially, sexually, that had been kept under wraps or kept down to, to not not entirely but for the most part by a strong and vibrant catholic church because remember john the 23rd when he called the council he was going after the prophets of, of doom who were predicting and saying everything is bad what he was saying was everything is great in the world everything's great in the church and, he, and he, everybody remembers that quote those prophets of doom he mm-hmm. said were saying everything's not so great in the church well, so I- vatican ii was not called to address any specific problems it was called and it failed. And I think that would, to me, would suggest that the cart came first, or would, you know, which the, what came first then would have been the revolution in the Catholic Church. Well, I think you're right in that. And maybe some of our listeners might remember that in 1930, when the Lambeth Conference um, was going to allow contraception use between married couples, um, that happened, I'm going to say, in the summer. By the end of the year, the Pope had an encyclical, Costi Canubi, instantly shut that idea down among Catholics, um, reiterating the perennial teaching of, of the importance of openness to life um, and the intrinsic evil of contraception. He right away shut <laughs> that down so it couldn't gain any traction. And that was right after uh, the Roaring Twenties, right? Think, of, think about what you just said. It's such a great point. Now, by this point, all of the anti-Catholic rhetoric about the popes being, you know, gilded, caged kings and, you know, trampling on the rights, it's all over. The, the papal states are gone. You know, the, the pope is barely, he's, he's into the smallest country in the world in Vatican City. All his temporal power is gone. You know, and you've gone through this, this period where the church has suffered a great deal. But as you say, Lambeth Con- Conference, Pius XI, what does he do? 
He says to the world, to the Catholic world, this is wrong, you cannot do this. And what is he actually saying? He's influencing what a faithful Catholic body politic was doing behind the closed doors of their own bedrooms. That's the influence that the Catholic Church had. Because the Catholic Church at that point was still concerned about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And she preached that way. She preached against it. And this was the same pope, by the way, Pius XI, who, as you had the great clash of Nazism and socialism, the Nazis and the communists, what does he do? He comes out with another encyclical on the kingship of Christ. He says nothing about dialogue and ecumenism and all these things that we hear today. He says, your only hope now, world, as you prepare to blow each other up by Nazis and communists, your only hope is to appeal to the social kingship of Jesus Christ. That's how the church be behaved. And, and that was being a bulwark of the faith, right? Keeping the, the sea of the world at bay. And in, in the 60s, we find that um, there was so much talk about the church was going to change her position on contraception. And priests were already starting to counsel people in the confessional that that was going to happen. And there was no word, no encyclical until 1968. And then when Humanae Vitae did come out, it was... Yes, it, uh, it upheld the teaching of the church, but it was very short and I, I think a little weak. Um, when you look at Costi Canubi and how much he drew on scripture, tradition, um, the other um, encyclicals, the other church teaching that was out there, he built a very strong case. Um, Humana Vitae was a very weak case. And then when, um, you know, right when it was released, there were already priests who were ready to say, we don't agree with that. So... It seems like there was not a strong response from the church right away saying, no, this is our what we believe as Catholics. Well, that gets back to sort of the the comment before that, you know, is it ignorance or malice? It seems to be malice that these priests would be ready to roll, you know, with objections that fast. It's as if there was an infiltration. Um, and on that point, so you had mentioned, Michael, the, you know, that it could be that when we watch the crackdown on the TLM, that there's something malicious, a malicious spirit behind it. I'm curious, um, you know, that one of the things I run into in traditional circles is sadly despair because they see this and they're, they're watching every move the Pope makes and everything the hierarchy does. And they're, I don't want to say unfaithful to God's winning in the end, but it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's, it's easy to look at today's hierarchy and say, wow, the gates of hell did prevail. They have prevailed. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you answer the despairing question, I guess? I, I think we, we again appeal to history. We talk about you know what it would have been like for, I don't know, Don John of Austria, when the entire, uh, entirety of Europe was about to fall into the hands of the Turks. Um, what it would have been like for St. Thomas More, realizing that the Catholic Church in England was, was completely going to be eradicated, and at the same time having to oppose his king. And at that time, that was a very, very difficult stand to make. So uh, what was it like for the Cristeros? What was it like for the Vendeans in, you know, in 18th century France when their whole country, their whole world was blowing up, their king and queen were beheaded, their priests and their nuns, I'm talking about in France, being exterminated, really, beheaded, wiped out. Uh, they go into the Vendée and they have the scorched earth, earth policy. Every man, woman, child, every dog, every cow, every crop had to be burned to forget the very memory of the Catholics in the Vendée. So I would say uh, we, we begin with Christ dying on the cross, which to, to, from a human point of view had to be the greatest reason for despair that man 
man has ever experienced. You know, so all of his followers early on see this man who said he was the son of God die on the cross. They must have been waiting until the very last second for him to come down off the cross and smite the enemy. But he doesn't. He simply dies. And yet from that you see St. John, St. Our Lady, Mary Magdalene, they continued to believe until the third day. So I think we look at some of those dark periods, the dark periods for the early Christians, and we realize that's the test. That's the test that God has given us to live through a dark time. But also, and I say this, I try to say this more and more now, don't just look at, if you're a traditional-minded Catholic, you realize something's wrong, don't just think of it as a sacred duty before God to resist, which it, which it is. But I would also encourage your viewers and listeners to remember that it is the greatest honor of your lives. God, God has selected you for some reason to be able to see the light here and to know what to do because he knows the faith will survive through you. And that's all what we're called to do is to keep the faith no matter how dark the world is around us. But he selected you because he must think you're strong enough to make it. So he didn't select you because you're 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 gonna you're gonna you know you're gonna start crying and weeping in despair. He selected you precisely because you won't. So if you see this as the honor of your lives, to be one who gets to stand, for example, at the foot of the cross with Saint John and Mary Magdalene, can you imagine be having the honor of standing with the few at the foot of the cross, or with the few Christians who were told were singing? as the lions tore their, their beloved and themselves to pieces in the Colosseum, or to stand with the Cristeros much, much more recent times, to be, to be one of the ones that, that held on. And this should, I think, encourage us all, because the thing is, and we all know this, but sometimes it's good to review, we're all gonna be dead in 50 years. I don't know how old you, you gentlemen, you, lady, uh, you ladies are, but you ladies and gentlemen, but- Really old, we're really old. We'll be dead. Then you're in my boat. We're all gonna be dead. And if we can make this message to the young people and to the people in the middle on this, we gotta die somehow anyway. But God has given you this chance to, to possibly die, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but to fight and be willing to lay down your life for him if necessary, or you can live to be 90 years old and die anyway. But what about, what about staying encouraged and honored to be here? Never leave the church. Never leave Mother Church. Look at what a man like Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has done for millions of people. People aren't leaving the church in despair because of him, because of what he's done. They're looking at him and saying, finally, an archbishop sees what I see. He's speaking out. He's confirming me and my belief, my family's belief, is something's very wrong in the church. And I'm going to stay and fight with him. And that's what every hero and martyr did of the past. That's what they did. That's the effect they had. He's walking up the scaffold and he's getting his head chopped off, St. Thomas More is. I want to stand with him. 400 years later, I want to stand with him. We all want to stand with Thomas More. What a noble, awesome stand that was. And you can pick your favorite martyr, your favorite saint, and, and, and realize that it applies to them as well. And I think that's what we have to do. Don't tell your, your kids, you have to do this, you've got to die, it's going to be horrible. Remind them of the great stories, once again, the great examples that we have, and remind them you get the chance to stand with them. Michael, the only thing that's going to kill you is the clock. We're up again. <laughs> usual, that's usual. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we've just blew past four minutes, uh, T-minus uh, four minutes on the, on the break, but... You were on a roll, and, and uh, we're letting you roll. This is Michael Matt on The Chatter. This is episode 55. We'll be back after these announcements.
We're back. We're in the studios of Aquinas Communications and FM 98.3 KCRD. Michael Matt from The Remnant, the editor of The Remnant newspaper. If you don't get that, you need to get it. And, uh, and Remnant TV, which is, uh, is it Sunday night, Michael, that uh, the new episodes come on? That's right, 7 That's o'clock central. Doing that here. And, so and you can get on a distribution list to get it emailed right to your inbox, which is yep. wonderful. Mm-hmm. So. And we put everybody uh, in handcuffs and leg irons and seatbelts here because that last segment went uh, 22 minutes. We were... <laughs> Way, way long. But it was so inspiring at the end. You know, Brad's question to you, Michael, was, you know, how do we avoid despair? And and uh, and your answer was very inspiring. We think about those that have gone before us that have suffered right. for the faith and died for the faith. And God, God had us, placed us here and now in this time and in this place for a reason. And it's not to walk away with our tail between our legs. So I appreciate your uh, motivating comments because we do need to remember that. We need to keep our eye on the people that have gone before us in other troubling times and imitate them. Um, and that's, Absolutely. but one of the things Which that, means die. Well, okay, so, but you only have one death. <laughs> so great, don't you want to give it to God? The great imitation is death. Here yeah, we are. Well, that's all right. Um, but anyway, so far we've been talking a lot about the laity and families and things like that. I, I want to just ask a little bit, pivot a little bit and ask about um, if from the priest's perspective, you know, maybe maybe there's a priest listening that that is a little more traditional, traditionally minded. Um, what would you what what words of advice would you say to a priest that maybe you know has started to learn the Latin Mass or thought about it, and now this document has come out and has kind of slapped him back? What would you say to a priest that might be a little inclined that way? I, I, w- I would first I would start by encouraging him um, to understand that we understand his situation. So people say to you or to, to us at Remnant TV, boy, you guys are so courageous. Well, no, we don't have as much to lose. So we are very aware as lay people how difficult it is for priests to take a tough stand. And I would encourage, I would encourage them to be cognizant of their brother priests back in the early 1970s who didn't have nearly the infrastructure of support that they have today, thanks be to God. Uh, you have the Fraternity of St. Peter's, Society of St. Pius X, Institute of Christ the King. All these priests are dealing now with more, or with uh, Traditionalis Custodis. And so we do have much more support. You have many, many more people who realize something's very wrong right now in the church. And I think that, that there are a lot of good priests who are saying the new mass and they would, they would like to uh, maybe go in the direction of tradition. I would encourage them to do so and that we as traditionalists are not asking them to put their heads on chopping blocks. We will stand with them. We will defend them. We will take care of the pensions and the, the insurance and whatever else is needed if they take the difficult stand that so many priests have done in the past who gave their, their lives for, for this. And, and I would also say that, that a, a, a tradition, as you say, a tradition-leaning, a tradition-minded priest is our ally right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the, the priests, for example, out in, in uh, Alexandria in Virginia, the diocese in Virginia, um, they're saying both masses, and they're, they're realizing that they're not being shut down, and they're making uh, great efforts to find gymnasiums and place to, places to put the, the traditional Latin mass for the flock. They're fighting on our side as well, and, and we have to embrace them. We have to, we have to be charitable and understand where they're coming from. They're coming in the direction of tradition, and so we support them and we encourage them. And I would say, furthermore, that it's very necessary for priests right now uh, to to not to not uh, to, to have a, a sense of confidence in your own gut, because we're not just talking about Latin masses versus English masses anymore. We are talking about shutting down the impasse to a geopolitical, godless, Christophobic new world order, 
And we know that's the case because in the middle of the so-called pandemic, in the middle of the crisis in the church, the apostasy in the church, world wars, hunger, all these horrible things that are happening, uh, the Pope, for whatever reason, the Vatican has decided to shut down the traditional Latin mass movement. So they must see it as an impasse to the globalist agenda. So the priests who we have at, at the diocesan level, they're seeing that as well. They were told to shut their churches down during COVID. Most of them were not happy about that. Many of them were not. Mm -hmm. So they see the handwriting on the wall that this has to do with, with even with civil liberties and with the, the future of our countries, of our nations, of the nation state itself. And I think that there are going to be a lot of good, solid priests who are going to come more and more. They already are, but they're going to come, become more and more cognizant of what's really happening here. This is the attempt to crucify the mystical body of Christ. And I think we're going to see the new Father Michael Prose. We're going to see the new Father Edmund Campions coming out of, this, of the mainstream church and leading this charge, leading this fight. And it may be that they have to go underground for a while. I would encourage them to learn the Latin Mass. I would encourage them to make the Novus Ordo Mass that they're saying as traditional, as devout, communion in the, on the tongue, for example, bring all of that back. And, and to lead the, to lead and protect their flocks from what's coming, but always aware that that we're all on a journey here and we're trying to figure this out together. We're not trying as traditional Catholics to condemn them or to say that they're useless or that they're part of the problem. They too have been betrayed. Mm -hmm. So I think I feel very encouraged by the fact that we have so many allies in the priesthood, many of whom are not saying the Latin Mass right now, but who are listening to your programs and they're reading you know my newspaper and they're they're ready to get into this fight. So I would say. Mm -hmm. Pray, praise God for that. Uh, encourage them to, to, to go further and to be as supportive and lovingly leading as traditional Catholics as we can be without banging them over the head or mm -hmm. saying it like it is and being mm -hmm. offensive to guys who are doing their best right now. Yeah, there's a group of us at Book Club, and we're reading uh, Bishop Schneider's book, Christus Vincit, which is awesome. But um, Diane Montagna is interviewing um, Archbishop or Bishop Schneider, and he said something interesting. He said, I don't think you can really just drop the Novus Ordo, because that's what the vast majority of Catholics are familiar with. But he talked about introducing pieces of the Latin Mass into the Novus Ordo to make it more reverent. So, for example, maybe you just say Eucharistic Prayer Number 1, right? That's a valid option, and that's uh, the only canon that's allowed in the Latin Mass. Or maybe you add the bells back if you didn't have the bells. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, some of those things, maybe some of the prayers after Mass. So what do you think of that idea? Like, do you think there'd be a hybrid Mass? Um, or what do you think about that? Like I say, I, I think it's important to make the distinction to say it all depends on the direction that you're going. So, for example, if the Fraternity of St. Peter were to say what you just said, well, why don't we kind of meet them halfway by doing canon number one? And do, I would think that would be absolutely dead wrong. But for a priest who's already in the Novus Ordo to, to begin doing some of those things, I, I think that's essential. I have an example here in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, where a priest wanted to re restore his sanctuary. So he took the uh, butcher block, <laughs> the, the table altar out mm -hmm. for the purpose of, you know, of painting and, and, and inlaying the floor and making it very beautiful. And then he just lost track of it. So he does an auto-orient mass every Gee. Sunday. Nobody quite knows what happens to I mean, it's so easy to lose an altar these days. Gosh, <laughs> I mean, happens. I, it happens. It happens. <laughs> Father Skippy sold it. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so I think there's so much room for that. And again, with this awareness that this is so much more than liturgical preference now, that we really are fighting for the soul of our church, and we need to pray for the Pope and pray for the folks that are in charge. But at the same time, recognize that diabolical disorientation, as Sister Lucia Fatima talked about, that's affecting all of us, and that's mm -hmm. affecting our priests. 
And so as I think collectively, we want to try to acknowledge that, anticipate that, and move back in the direction of tradition for the sake of ourselves, our flocks, our churches, our parish, our children, and for the sake of our leadership, so that they can begin to see that this is the direction it must go for the sake and for the good of the church. I think it's a lot easier to sell that now, quote unquote, sell that idea than it was, because now we see what happens without the traditional Catholic influence, the traditional Catholic moral voice in the church. It's gone silent. And what we're living through now is a result of that, which is a Christless chaos. And I think that traditional Catholics have such an important role to play then to say, no, we, we need to go back to Christ the King. We mm-hmm. need to go back to the liturgy of the mm-hmm. saints. So, Michael, what do you what do you say to the um, priest that's interested, but they look at traditionis custodes, they listen to their bishop or archbishop, that says you are being disobedient. What do you do? The, the buzzword that's always out there is disobedience. And then also... What about laity that would be concerned that I'm going to go to this private underground mass, but I don't want to jeopardize the soul of a priest that's disobeying his bishop? I would say, again, it's a matter of having faith, and, and we, we resort, we go back, we, consent, we, we sort of look at what happened in the past. I learned to say the tr- to serve the traditional Latin mass as a 10-year-old child in the basement of my father's home because they had rescued an altar and put an altar down there. Now, my father was a loyal son of the church. He never for one second said, we're going to set up an altar in our church and stay there forever. But when you're in the middle of a crisis like this, uh, you, you take those steps always for the good of the church and for the good of souls, realizing that it's going to be a temporary thing. This is not going to last forever. So those priests that I'm referring to back in the early 70s, I mean, the, most of them, you know, as, as time went on and Samorum Pontificum came and Ecclesia Dei came, integrated, you know, fully back into the, the mainstream of the church as traditional Catholic church priests. And I think that's a good example of how God, how God will work with those who are willing to sacrifice for him. Don't consider it a final thing. You're not leaving the church. You're simply going into the catacombs as the early Christians did, always with the intent of coming back up topside and then building the greatest civilization in the history of the world, namely Christendom, the Christian Western civilization that came out from people who were willing to go into the catacombs for a time. And I think that idea has plenty of precedent in our, in our church and in our history, and we encourage our priests to do the same. It's not a matter of being disobedient, it's a matter of being obedient to God and to the church until our diabolically disoriented leadership will return to their senses. And we're seeing examples of that all around us in Bishop Schneider, in Archbishop Vigano, uh, Bishop Tobin recently, you know, out in, in Rhode Island, many, many, Strickland, many bishops are realizing this. So we're not alone, but we do need to be ready. We have to have that line in the sand and we need to be prepared to suffer and even die for it if need be. Hopefully it doesn't get there. But we have to be ready to take those those heroic measures. Michael, we're down to about three minutes here, and I appreciate uh, we need to start uh, passing the uh, smelling salts, evidently, to the bishops. Is that what you're saying? Colleen, what yeah. you got here? Yeah, well, my question is, because, I mean, you just mentioned a bunch of bishops, and I know that you have your finger on the pulse uh, around the country. What is your sense if, if um, COVID-22 hits or the monkeypox? Can we say monkeypox, or is that now not allowed? Uh, once you can say okay it. <laughs> i'm just gonna say it once then so let's say something else happens and there's another shutdown what is your sense will people go along with that will the priests and the bishops go along with that what do you think yeah i think i think we've all been uh, victimized by a mass psychosis that we need to be very very wary of this thing isn't over they're using fear they're using technology like no one's ever seen uh so to, to say well this will never happen again i'm not so sure that we, we could count on that I do think that the examples shown by traditional Catholic priests, bishops, laity over the, the last two years of crazy chaos 
was not wasted. And I think there are a lot of priests now who are saying, no, not, not again. I know, personally, yeah. I know five, six priests have already told me, never again. So I think we have to hope and pray for that. And I think that will be the case, but I think it would be naive to say, I think that the majority of people are not going to fall for this again. I, I wish that were the case, but unfortunately, I think we're so stripped of our of our history and of our philosophy and our theology and what makes us <laughs> sane human beings right now. I think that, that many people will fall for it again. I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm dead wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pray you're dead wrong, too. So we're uh, bumping up against the clock here on the 55th episode of The Chatter. This is Michael Matt of the Remnant newspaper, the editor, and the Remnant TV. you got to get that. You can meet Michael in person coming to uh, Platteville. Brad Markham will give us, uh, what are the details again that's coming up this weekend? Friday, September 2nd. Be there at 4 p.m. if you want confession, 5 p.m. for Mass, 6 p.m. dinner, and then 6.30, 6.45, Michael will give us his wisdom yeah what is the topic that night so we're still formulating it we're not sure yet so or we'll just wind him up and let him go (laughs) well let me like i can tell you an anecdote this is this is michael showed up the last time we had him last november i believe he came in five minutes before the talk and he he looks at me he says how long do you want me to talk and what's what's my topic (laughs) and that just blew me away because for me i'd have to have my notes and all that in order and he he knocked he knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was an amazing presentation. Keep so. talking till the beer runs out. Right. That's right. That's, that's, it, that's right. That's it. And then we'll have Q&A, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll go longer. Uh, you guys have a great group. That was really a good time. I look forward to coming back and seeing everybody. Michael, plug the newspaper and the TV show again for everybody who's just uh, not quite familiar with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. Remnantnewspaper.com is our website. We have new stuff going up every few hours, every day. Uh, Remnant-TV.com is kind of exciting for your for your listeners because it's the alternative uh, to or an alternative to YouTube. We're still on YouTube, of course, until they throw us off. But we are building our own our own platform. So there's good future in in all of it, the newsprint and in our own independent platform for TV. So Remnant-TV.com for that. We're Remnant Video at YouTube, and of course RemnantNewspaper.com for the newspaper. Regrettably, episode 55 comes to an end. Michael Matzar guest with Brad Markham, Colleen Pasnick, and we end in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be. To the Father and to to the the Son and to the the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it it was was in the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and and ever shall be, be, world without end. end. Amen. St. Bartholomew, pray pray for us. us. Tune in again next week to The Chatter. We love you.